This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of EMS 2020. And uh, yeah, we are, uh, we're back after a, a brief hiatus. Sorry to spring the hiatus on you guys. Um, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> you deserve it. Wow. Uh, I, I love the fans. So you guys can stop telling Spencer how great he is because he apparently hates you. And, uh, you know, maybe talk about the other host, how great he is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, yeah, sorry about that, uh, but we figured like, uh, hey, you know what, like, most people don't listen during the holidays anyway, uh, but then you guys did, uh, but uh, and the numbers were actually fine over the holidays, which I was surprised about, but, you know, that's Yay. good, that's good, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we thought you'd want to spend your holidays with uh, your family, uh, but you did want to spend it with us after all, which warms our hearts, but uh, we didn't have anything for you, but we're back, and uh yeah. Today's episode uh, is going to be exciting. Uh, so as usual, guys, please follow us on social media. We are EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook, EMS 2020 show on Instagram. And if you want your call featured on this amazing show, uh, we are EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. And that's where you can submit your calls for us to review. Uh, if you don't know, this is a show where we review pre-hospital calls and see what we can uh, learn from them. If there's anything we would do differently uh, or, if anything, or if there's anything that we are going to do differently as a result of the stellar uh, performance by the people uh, who ran the call. Uh, before we get into the call itself, though, let's kind of do a little bit of listener feedback. I picked today's listener feedback, and it's in the form of a review. Apparently, we do things a little bit different in America. And this is, uh, we had a review. It's a five-star review. And so I don't know why I'm obsessing over it. It's a fun review. It gave us five stars. It got really nice things to say. And he says, really fun podcast with interesting topics, balanced views on calls that takes into account the challenges faced and isn't unfairly judgmental to the people involved. But then they go on to say, very much based in the American EMS system, which does occasionally mean advocating some practice that sounds a bit, and then it has like the what the fuck eyes, like the two wide open eyes, uh, two audiences <laughs> from normal countries. Four minutes of CPR in a movie. Like, what do you mean normal? Like, no, doesn't every country do CPR, like to the Pledge of Allegiance playing in their head? Or at least <laughs> like America, fuck yeah. Yes, there it is. Yeah, Old yeah. glory. That's also totally, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think the pledge of allegiance would be a little bit so like I pledge allegiance to the flag. Maybe that's the problem. We're not doing it. We're not <laughs> that's, doing that's, it fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> American we need to, we need speed. Isn't it totally normal just to, you know, bypass the nearest ER for the local Buster's barbecue? <laughs> just get him in the back. Give him 12 cc's of whiskey and step on it, Jim. <laughs> Don't you worry, ma'am. The only thing crippling to your husband is going to be the medical bills that come after this. <laughs> like that's, isn't that, isn't that I normal? Mean, that, is, that is basically the EMS system. Summed up. Yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, anyway. We use our handguns for sirens. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just fire them out the window. Different calibers create the different noise effects, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the ambulance sirens just go, hooey, 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 as we go down. Uh, no, I, I really like this review. Uh, 
because I did grow up outside of the United States um, yeah. for a pretty significant portion. And we so it's not, it, it, of the globe. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to uh, it's nice to have people just kind of like comment like, yeah, no, they do some weird shit over there. And it makes <laughs> I'm like nice. I I love it. I love this. Is it weird shit though? So I, I'm guessing other countries well, then I, like when it comes to the, the to the because I I know because what he says is four minutes of CPR in a moving truck with no shocks on a witness arrest on a shockable w- rhythm. Really, in the year of our Lord 2021, um, <laughs> I I know he's probably referring to the. Uh, Grande sized, whatever it was, grande sized suckage, I think is what it was. Uh, uh, venti size. size, yeah, venti size. Right. Yeah. It was a venti, not a grande. Yeah, yeah. where Jesus. they uh, the guy codes in route to the hospital, and it's like, all right, there's there's like four minutes left on a transport. Do you and one pull, person in the back? Yeah, yeah. Do you just do CPR to the hospital? Do you pull over and shock? And then we kind of gave reasons. We didn't really advocate for doing one or the other. We gave reasons to do either. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I. I committed to. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. I I, I committed mm. to the right answer. No, gotcha. <laughs> Came under peer pressure. All right. Oh, uh, and then, of course, yeah. let's talk about Guardian CME really quick. So, as you guys know, we are uh, partnered up with uh, the Guardian Test Prep guys. Uh, they are amazing. They have an awesome test prep program. If you uh, look up Guardian stuff and you are about to take your paramedic test, or if you just want to refresh, they have the Guardian Test Prep. Uh, program that is uh, absolutely amazing. I've taken it myself. It got me through my national registry when I had to re-get my national registry after letting it lapse for over a decade. Uh, but also, the big thing that we're a part of over with Guardian is the guardiancme.com. That's where you can go to get free continuing education. It is up and running. It's super easy to do. You go to guardiancme.com in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, it'll either say, uh, you know, sign in or sign up. You want to sign up if you haven't already. It's just a standard way of signing up, you know, for anything. You enter in your name and your email address. You get a confirmation email and boom and then you just click on the continuing education part and away you go make sure you set up your your profile with your uh, credentials so we can actually give you continuing education credits and yeah you can get easily all of your online credits that you're allowed to get uh, online which i believe is 35 out of your 60 hours national registry if you're a paramedic can all be in the american system in the american American (laughs) system uh yeah you could go there and they're all capsi accredited courses so if your state accepts CAPSI, which I want to say is all the states, um, you are you are good to go. So, yeah, head on over there. And, of course, always check with your local municipality to make sure that the CE credits count for you. Uh, head on over there and get free continuing education all in one spot. Uh, with that, let's uh, let's move on to this call. All right. Well, <clears throat> um, as we kind of mentioned before, uh, this is this is a really Actually, this is a shitty call to review. It's, it's yeah. really hard. Um, I, I think it's sort of light on medicine. Uh, Chris, I would be curious what your take is. Um, but it's, it's really heavy on what I believe is really alarming and like really fucking problematic behavior. Um, so yeah. And, and just to kind of advise you guys. So, um, you know, normally, one, you know, Spencer brings the call and I kind of come in blind to it. I'm blind on the call itself, but Spencer did give me a heads up that there are some system issues uh, to kind of give me a chance to prepare for this one because uh, system design and that kind of stuff is more my wheelhouse. So, yeah, so I'm a little bit aware of some of the interactions that go on, um, but I am kind of curious about the call itself and kind of what led up to this. So, yeah, with that, um, I, All right. I, I, I know there's some pretty shitty shit that happens on this one so here we go yeah there totally is all right so 
This call is coming to us from an EMT that I have dubbed Astray. Um, their experience is a little over, uh, <clears throat> they have a little over a year at the time of this call. Uh, about 60% of their experience is uh, just on inner facility, uh, doing like inner facility transfers, you know, uh, dialysis runs, that sort of thing. And then about 40% of their experience uh, at the time of this call is 911. Okay. Um, they are partnered with a longtime paramedic with decades of experience. Uh, and we really need to talk about this person. I've dubbed them Malefic. Hmm. That's their name. Malefic. All right. And the reason we need to talk more about Malefic and Astray is that the dynamic between these two partners is crucial, in my opinion, to understanding like the why of what happened on this call. But let's uh, talk about the other system details first, just to get those out of the way. Um, so I'm going to just sort of broadly say I'm a, my apologies right off the bat. Uh, I know we're typically pretty vague on systems, but I'm going to be more so here. Um, here's what we know. Uh, Astray works for a private ambulance company that struggles with staffing in a service area that essentially covers a bunch of dying towns. Um, drug use and overdose calls are uh, very common complaints here. Uh, they usually staff between five to seven uh, ALS ambulances uh, with at least a paramedic on, but they also have a couple of hand, like a couple handful of like BLS only rigs that essentially do like those interfacility or contract calls for the agency and can fill in on the like very BLS 911 calls if they're needed. Um, the crew, the crews typically transport between like three to eight calls per shift and they have a dynamic deployment model. The fire department response depends on the town in which they are responding to. Uh, but police are often co-responders to a lot of the EMS calls just based on the call types. Um, all the local hospitals are stroke and like cath lab equipped and the trauma centers, uh, are about 30 minutes away so from this call when you say the police often respond as co-responders based on the call types is that because there's like do they typically respond to like code 99s or are they responding to and by the way, code 99s i know not everyone uses that code that's uh, no pulse not breathing because i know like in municipalities where spencer and i work oftentimes you have police that respond on cpr calls um because they carry aeds and so they'll run in and throw an aed on somebody mm. um mm. is that the case here or is this more like hey like criminal activity is common so we like to send police for as more of a matter I, of safety I, I, I think they don't go to all calls but they go to uh they're they, basically they are co-responding because the call types uh are like overdoses and okay. police are included on those. Gotcha, gotcha, um, gotcha. Maybe that, there may be criminal activity present exactly. or maybe a dangerous they're, scenario. Okay. Exactly. So and they're not that's, running and yeah. throwing AEDs or giving Narcan or anything like that. Not not to my knowledge, no. Okay. Um you know, maybe that's the case, maybe somebody has an AED and they do that stuff but nah. uh right. yeah. All right. So uh, circling back to the crew and their dynamic. So when a stray was moved onto an ALS car from their BLS unit, um, they were partnered with Malefic. Now, Malefic at this point is a longtime paramedic with this service. And again, that's multiple decades. Uh, they are known in this company. They are like they're known to be friends with upper management. Um, for the company. And, you know, on paper, this sounds like a good plan. You, 
put the newish EMT with the multi-decade paramedic who knows the company, uh, you know, especially if this service is scrambling to manage like staffing problems. And, you know, like you know, if all the FTOs are training somebody, yeah. then, you know. Putting well, I mean, somebody with a it's yeah. either a really good plan or or it turns out to be a really bad plan. It's one or the other. Like yeah, it's yeah. And it's usually when it's bad, it's catastrophically bad because I can anyway. Go. Yeah. Well, go that's on. why on paper. Yeah. On paper, it sounds yeah. like it could be great. <laughs> but malefic from the description that we have. And, you know, granted, this is from one person, but I tend to believe this one person's description. Okay. Malefic sounds like the antithesis of the ideal paramedic. Based on those details, uh, statements that or statements they made to Astray include like, all you need to know about 12 leads is look for ST elevation. Mm. That's it. Um, another one who cares about whether they have type one or type two because they just need sugar if it's slow. Yeah. And we gosh, I hope we can actually get an episode to talk about that specifically, because that that actually does matter, especially when it comes to the medications they're taking to manage that. But anyway, I. Yeah, mm-hmm, I, true. I, I I digress. But really, like, aside from those, because like, yeah, there are sort of anti-intellectual paramedics, you know, that, yeah. those are those are out there. But like the more concerning piece is this. Malefic is a large, physically intimidating person who, per astray, is very prone to like incredibly alarming outbursts of rage. Ooh, um, boy, that's not they, a good combination. They also tend to make very cutting and condescending remarks to partners who don't do things quote unquote their way. And they exhibit, they exhibit a ton of other gross behaviors that like we'll uncover as the story goes on. Um, Estray says that they very quickly learned not to argue with malefic on scene or about treatment because doing so, involved very literally being screamed at demeaned and if you kept on pushing the issue you could be certain that malefic would square up and then use their large physically intimidating size to uh, make you reconsider your stance wow wow um it sounds like malefic has a reputation of this like this isn't just like between malefic and, and astray right i i don't know i don't know any other dynamic this side this one um and yeah. really like one is enough it, I, I don't know if the, if there were, if i had report of an employee doing this kind of shit and i was in a supervisory yeah. position i would i would absolutely that would requ- that would mandate action so that so, begs the question then why is this person still employed uh I, well, I, astray or malefic? I, <laughs> well, I guess either. Because uh, who would want to put up with that shit for that long? But specifically, like malefic. Uh, I I can only guess as to why they would still be employed at this yeah. point. Friends so, with management, I suppose. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's the call. So it's morning time. Astray, uh, who's again an EMT, and malefic, who are a paramedic, are dispatched for a possible overdose just down the street from their location. This call comes in over their EMS dispatch system, and the call originated from a police officer who is reportedly, like, already on this scene. Hmm. Um, it takes about two minutes for the crew to get there, um, and when they arrive at the address, they note that it's a closed-down clothing store, and outside the store and waiting for them is the police officer. Uh, the patient is at this address, but they are actually in an apartment that's over the top of the clothes shop, and are reportedly unconscious with a suspected drug overdose. Other important details, uh, there is no interior access to the apartment from inside the shop. 
Um, there's actually an exterior and like questionably dangerous trail that people would have to take to get to this loft where the patient is. The trail takes about three to four minutes each way, involves some steps um, and like some stepping over like barriers and stuff. So the officer leads Malefic and Astray up the trail to the patient. Astray grabs a single kit, which contains equipment for like vitals, you know, blood pressure, pulse oximeter, stethoscope, BLS airway supplies, bandaging, and an IV start kit with some drugs like Narcan, for instance. Okay. Um, so yeah, they grab that kit and head up the trail. Uh, so that, that's kind of a unique kit makeup, actually. It's kind of like a med bag, but also BLS airway stuff and i know this is a little bit off topic but now i'm kind of curious what what the other kits are that they're bringing in oh uh yeah so they do have a cardiac monitor um and they also have an o2 bottle the monitor uh, that's going to remain inside their ambulance and the o2 bottle is secured to the stretcher and you know it could be taken off but uh the it sounds like in this system, most people don't. So the only thing they brought in uh, was the one kit that Estray grabbed, nothing more. And, uh, and you know, the crew did get the report that the patient did have a decreased level of consciousness. So, so they, they didn't bring oxygen? No. I'm kind of struggling with this. So if I'm understanding this uh, correctly here, there are two more items to bring, only two more. There's a monitor and an O2 bottle. Both of which are very standard things you're going to need for a possible altered mental status. Why did they not bring them? And if there's only one kit, why did only like one person carry anything in? So to me, it looks like we have a stray going in with a kit on their back and Malefic going in with empty hands. Well, put simply, uh, on Malefic's ambulance and, you know, possibly throughout this EMS system, uh, uh, patients are brought to the equipment, not vice versa. <laughs> but that then why a, the uh, fuck do you have kits? Like, that's <laughs> the whole point. Then just, they just don't have kits. If that's the way it is, just leave everything in the ambulance, stock the walls. The whole reason you have kits is so you can bring equipment to the patients. That's the very reason they exist. Why have them? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh wow that's a really good fuck, yeah that's a good point i mean don't get me wrong the reason you yeah. have them is because this whole concept of bringing patients to the equipment is fucking stupid that's why you have them but i mean like hey. if you're gonna double down and this is your system where you bring the patients to the equipment then you know what fuck it like double down go all in get rid of your kits yeah jesus yeah. christ so and, and this is some stupid way, shit already and, and, I, and i feel and, like it's and, only and, going to get worse and Chris, th so let me put this this way. Like, this is something that uh, Estray learned early on is not to not to question this with their partner. And their partner is the one who really toes this line. And it sounds like even in really extreme situations, at the risk of mm -hmm. making you more mad, uh, yeah. I was told, Estray told me there was a case in which Malefic wouldn't let a single provider start chest compressions on a cardiac arrest patient in wow. a residence. Until after the patient was moved into their ambulance and the rationale w provided to Astray was they didn't want the family to interfere. Um, <sighs> plus all the equipment, you know, still in the ambulance. So right. you got to move the patient out there. Oh, man. Uh, and, and, and again, it, you know, here's the here's the shit is like if you push back, are you trying to go against, you know, the, the senior medics wishes you, you get? screamed yeah. at and yelled at and told no so no they didn't bring anything else aside from a straight bringing the one kit up the trail to the patient 
Yeah. So I just, I, I, I want to clarify really quick. Um, is this, this guy, cause just a second ago, you said like, it's possibly throughout this EMS system. Uh, do, do we know if this is other Maddox or if, or is it just this one guy? Uh, well, I asked astray, like, Hey, like, is it, you know, like, have you, do other people bring oxygen in and astray rarely got to work with other people, but th- that seemed sort of the standard practice was like the oxygen yeah. tank usually remains attached to the stretcher. Well, here's um, what I can and, tell you is if there's yeah. a guy on scene saying no one start chest compression. So we get him out to the ambulance and someone doesn't say, dude, get fucked. And then go and do the call. Then it probably is a system issue. Cause I can tell you like in the systems you and I were expense, if someone said that, People would look at them like they're a fucking Martian because it would be the dumbest thing to ever come out. And they'd be like, no, we're, we're going to do the compressions, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Uh, so I would imagine that if, if this person said this, actually said this on a scene and it was allowed to continue, then I would have to think there is some level of this being a system norm. But, yeah. uh, you know, and again, I'm pulling I'm pulling a lot here from, you know, one side of one story from one person in the system. But still, that if, if what we're being told is true, that that that's got to be a system issue anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So the trio arrive at the loft and it's basically described to be like a squatter's den. You know, mm-hmm. there's no lights inside. There's no power to the unit. And I want to point out, like, it's not cold, nor is it really a cold time of year either. Um, the place is dark. It's filled with garbage, graffiti, cigarette butts, old clothes, you know. Um, but thankfully, uh, they <laughs> thankfully, like the owners of this place went light on like the million clusters of spiders decor. So, <laughs> you know, there is that upside. But it's there, um, but it's tasteful is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They did not go with peanut butter spider sandwich decor. It's like you they have like, you that. know, like those those patients you go there where they're like you have some people who collect like little knickknacks and there's maybe like a little China hutch with some that's kind of tasteful. OK, you collect that. And then you have people where it's like every flat surface has a knickknack they've collected on it. Yeah, they know. OK, more like so this is more just tasteful, like spiders in the corner kind of thing. Yeah, no, that, you like know a, what? That's that's probably the case. Yeah, gotcha. Like uh, a cute cluster yeah. of spiders next to some food, maybe. But other than that, yeah, like you you notice it, but it really kind of fits in with the like feng shui of the place. Okay, you know, perfect. You're like, yeah, this actually flows. I get mm-hmm. it. Yeah, like that spider east, belongs yeah. in that corner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the corner would right. be weird without the spider. It, it, you know, you wouldn't Sorry. notice it. Yeah. No. <laughs> but all right. Uh, Jesus. This is awesome. All right. Additionally, th- like there is no drug paraphernalia noted like on the scene, but you know, also no one's really searching through like the garbage that's around this patient either. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that. Uh, speaking of the patient is found lying supine on the ground near a dingy exterior window. Uh, they appear to be a thin, um, unkempt male in their thirties. The police officer reports that they're familiar with the patient as the patient and their family have an extensive history of drug abuse and, you know, uh, criminal run-ins. Okay. Um, there doesn't appear to be anything nearby that like the patient might've fallen from. It's more like this is where the patient just decided to lie down. Gotcha. We're not sure how the officer ended up involved with this patient and calling EMS. And and that might have been a question that was asked by Malefic. Okay. That was a question I was about to ask. Yeah. But maybe it was asked. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, Astray Astray wasn't sure. Yeah. Um, So we have no idea on any like details of like you know last seen normal or other like hpi um and, and by but by the way i want to point out like astray recognizes both the patient's name and this location because they were on a cardiac arrest for a family member of this patient not too long ago 
at the same place. Gotcha. And so now they are here for this patient. Okay. Um, so Estray goes to assess the patient. Uh, as I said, patients thin, poor body hygiene. They are minimally responsive. Their eyes open to pain. Uh, their verbal response is moaning at like its best and their motor response is withdraws from pain. The patient is shirtless, which makes spotting the bilaterally scabbed over softball sized swollen lumps on the patient's arms easy to find. And again, these are heavily scabbed wounds with swollen red tissue sort of surrounding the scabs. And Jeez. they are about softball sides. Softballs the are, left- are big. Yeah, huge. No, the softballs are huge. Yeah. yeah. The left side is sort of up by the bicep and the right side is on the patient's forearm. The patient's pupils are noted to be pinpoint and equal. Uh, the patient was lifted up and, you know, like, and sort of like into a seating position and their back was inspected. And while their back looked red, uh, it was intact and there's no signs of like trauma or infection there. Uh, the skin was reported to be dry. They didn't feel like it was cyanotic. Uh, and the patient's temp was, uh, normal, okay. just skin temp. Um, a blood sugar was checked and was reported to be normal. Other vitals, um, the heart rate was reported to be in the low 100s. Blood pressure was reported to be normal as well. And I'm, Estray doesn't recall, uh, a significant amount of the, like, exact numbers here. Uh, so this is sort of the, we're going with the best we have in this situation. Um, respirations, they report to be about 18 per minute, and the patient did have clear lung sounds. They put a, you know, their portable SPO2 device on the patient's finger and it's 80s with a good pleth wave. So, Chris, okay. given the details so far, what are your thoughts on what's going on with this patient and what would you like to do at this point? Uh, all right. So, like, I'm going to admit, like, this is kind of hard for me because I, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes and mm. I have no equipment. Uh, so... <laughs> I'm going to start, I guess, with what I think needs to be done for this situation. And I guess I'll see how we can achieve that with what they have uh, or see if we need to start moving the patient to the equipment because, you know, by golly, patients go to the equipment in this system uh, or if we need to get someone to fetch our gear. So with any, you know, with an AMS patient, altered mental status, uh, you know, you got to cast a wide net because there's so many different things that can happen. But one thing I do know is that, you know, I can tell you right off the bat is the patient is hypoxic. Okay. They're in the eighties. Um, the patient's respiratory rate seems, seems fine if it's 18 and they got clear lung sounds. Uh, so I'm going to assume that the reason for a poor oxygenation is going to be there's a depth quality issue with each breath. Uh, cause you know, pretty much what, what makes up your, your lungs, you know, the measurements of, of function of your lungs is going to be the lung sounds, the rate and then the depth and quality. And so if they're not working, one of those things has to be askew. And I know two of them seem okay. So I'm going to guess it's the third one that's askew. Uh, so uh, usually on a patient like this, I would just throw an iron breather on, uh, on an oxygen bottle. And uh, so that the low volume breaths can be rich with oxygen and do the job they need to do. Uh, but I can't do that. Can I? Because <laughs> apparently we didn't bring in, fucking oxygen bottle um so this yeah. throws me a bit because typically i would have someone throw the nrb on and then like move on with the rest of the ams uh, assessment uh but now i'm kind of in the position of either like move the patient or get someone to get the gear or try and do something uh i'm assuming the one kit that they that they do have has a bvm at least 
So, yes, it does. Yeah. So I suppose if we if we were able to get the officer that's there to maybe go back and get our equipment, we could try and improve the breath quality with the BVM, provided my asshat partner would actually do something like that if they were asked to. But given that they don't even like chest compressions on scene, I'm going to guess that would be a no. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, because the BVM at this point is the only thing I have with me that could potentially impact that. And it's not even going to be attached to oxygen, but hopefully just a deeper breath of room air would help. Uh, the other option would be to just jump straight to Narcan and hope that that resolves our respiratory drive and then they can start breathing on their own. Uh, and sometimes Narcan will work really rapidly. Spence, you and I, have, we've both given it and yeah. been like, holy shit, they're up. Uh, but there are sometimes, especially depending on, on the patient, how much they've taken, where it doesn't do it right away. Like you give Narcan and it doesn't, come around quickly. And I don't know about you, Spence, but I'm not a huge fan of prolonged hypoxia. So I typically like to do something about it while we wait to prepare and then administer and then wait for the effect of Narcan to come on. Like a non-rebreather mask with oxygen, but I can't do that. Uh, so, yeah. So I guess, uh, so I guess maybe like I'll pivot to like, I, I don't know. They fucked themselves in this situation. So at this point, they either need to start moving the patient or they need to get someone to bring some equipment up is really what needs to happen. And in the meantime, I guess BVM to your best ability, give some Narcan and maybe BVM to the best of your ability. Uh, yeah. I mean, you fucked yourself, but in, in this fucked situation, I guess those are the things I would, I would look to. Um, yeah. But the, I guess the, what should have happened, like had you brought your stuff question. Yeah. Yeah, this let's is the way I did all this. Yeah. Let's assume you brought all the stuff. What let's would you assume do? I did the bare minimum. Uh, so uh, the first thing, you know, I run AMS calls kind of the same way. If you listen to this show long enough, you've probably heard me do this. But um, I really like to start to check to see if the brain has a fuel supply. It needs a pressure that perfuses the brain. And the pressure in this patient seems good. I, I think I don't think he gave a specific blood pressure. I think he just said it was normal. Um, yeah. But, you know, that doesn't seem to be a problem. Uh, it needs oxygen and it needs sugar. Uh, past that, then I start looking uh, at things like uh, trauma. And trauma seems unlikely given your earlier description. Uh, and so after trauma, you need to consider things like overdose, which, you know, given the history, that's kind of a top candidate. Uh, sepsis and then, you know, CVA are the other options to start uh, looking into. And then you start looking at things like electrolytes. Um, yeah. I think you said pupil size. Did you mention pupil size already? Yeah. Pupils were pinpoint. Pupils were pinpoint. Okay. Um, so... For me, like, uh, so what I would do with it, you know, with this, this patient, when it comes down to like what they absolutely need, like I talked about earlier, like I'm a big thing, like, you know, the, the, the brain needs fuel supply uh, and right now it doesn't have oxygen. So the first thing I would do is place an NRB, see if we can correct the, the hypoxia, uh, with that, get a monitor placed. Uh, and then given the recent history, I would consider Narcan. Um, but at this point I think I'd, I'd check a CBG cause we need to check it. I know it's not your thing, Spence, but I like to do it. Um, <laughs> it was checked. I want to point it out. They did no, check it earlier and it was, I horrible, know. but I yeah. know someone else was running the call. Of course it was checked. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I think Narcan is something that I would definitely want to give this patient, but it's probably something that I'd want to wait to do uh, in the rig. Cause you never know how much they're going to wake up when you give it to them and kind of given the scenario they're in, it might be something to do better uh, in the ambulance uh, with some control provided we're able to correct the hypoxia with an NRB. Um, yeah. on, on scene. So if we were able to correct the hypoxia and get them up to the mid to high nineties with an NRB, um, I would say let's, let's save the Narcan, you know, for the rig, but I would definitely give the patient Narcan and kind of where I'm at with this is if it's not a narcotics overdose to me, just kind of looking at the patient sepsis is my next big go-to just given, you know, like those golf balls or those softball sized 
red things on the patient's arms, um, yeah. you know, and given the environment they're in, I think they're a big candidate for sepsis. And while I'm not normally a fan of giving Narcan purely for the sake of diagnosis, um, in this case, because there are, there's a lot of evidence to other things, particularly sepsis, um, I would, it can really change treatments going forward, right? Like you may, that can change whether or not you get, you know, you make this a sepsis alert patient or not. Uh, yeah. and it can change or possibly like if you give Narcan and nothing happens, you know, like, Hey, there's no improvement. There's no respiratory drive pickup. I'm not seeing anything. Then you're really thinking either sepsis or possibly, you know, CVA, these kind of other things. So in that case, I think because there are different treatment decisions that can be made down the road based on how well the Narcan works, given the patient's presenting illness, I would give Narcan, even if I was able to correct their oxygenation with the NRB, but I would probably wait to the rig. Yeah, no, that's a really good plan. I, I, I like that. I definitely agree. Um, Perfect. So let's talk about what Estray was thinking. Um, so Estray is also thinking overdose based on their experience. Um, you know, and they kind of have their own little like four, uh, they have their own sort of like four point checklist for, for this. Um, so they're like, yeah, I have a patient with low oxygen saturations who has mm-hmm. pinpoint pupils and who has an altered mental status. And, and while the patient does have tachypnea, uh, which isn't a sign that typically fits with overdose, like the overdose opiate overdose profile, because uh, mm-hmm. we'd expect, you know, the, the bradypnea, the slow breathing rate. Um, but still, like three of four sort of yeah. line up. Uh, and so wait, is this patient did- tachypnic? I thought they were 18. Uh, well, I mean, it's, yeah, no, that's fair. Like, it's not tick, it's not really tachypnea, is it? Uh, if they're, uh, if they're not yeah. over like 20. Okay. But I stand I mean, corrected. Tachypnic for an overdose patient, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's probably what I meant when I wrote yeah. that. Uh, faster yeah. than expected, given, given what we yeah. have here. Yeah. But still, like, based on what they have, Stray wants to give the patient intranasal Narcan. Um, but they don't even bring it up to their partner because, the first time and subsequent times that they have uh, where Estray wanted to administer intranasal Narcan or, you know, had went to uh, do that. Uh, Malefic told them to put that shit away. And when Estray wow. pushed back, Malefic escalated their own response. And, that, and, and that's uh, a, a previous call, not this call. That is pre- those are previous calls in which Jeez. this situation, similar situations to this one have been run. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, so yeah, they do, they don't, they don't bring it up. They, cause they know what the answer is. Yeah. Um, so with the assessment done, Malefic, uh, starts bandaging the patient's arms for the move, uh, which Estray assists with. And then Malefic announces that they are going back to the rig to call for some lifting help so that they can, and to grab their patient moving tarp so they can move the patient to the ambulance. Uh, it sounds like Malefic did uh, try to take the one bag that they brought with them down to the ambulance as they left, but Estray moved the bag closer to them as Malefic was doing this, and Malefic didn't say anything and left without taking the bag. Well, that was sweet. Uh, do they have portable radios? <laughs> they sure do, but just not on them. Yeah, well, why the fuck, <laughs> why the fuck would they? Yeah, never mind. Yeah. That was a dumb fucking yeah. question for me. Yeah. Uh, so with Malefic gone to get help, Estray and the police officer are just like there with the patient. Perfect. Um, and, and Estray is, I mean, they're, they're a person in crisis here. Uh, you know, they have a patient who they strongly believe needs treatment. Um, specifically, uh, they strongly feel that 
uh, since they don't have any oxygen, um, yeah. they should administer intranasal Narcan to this patient who they feel is hypoxic due to a likely overdose. And they do have the kits which have the drugs in it. So they could, mm-hmm. but they can't, they can't give them because doing so would cause their partner to lose their shit and scream at them for going against their wishes on this patient. Um, so astray sort of enters a period of stress induced time dilation because, you know, they're mad at themselves and their partner and, you know, they're, they're bargaining with themselves here, you know, okay. If the sats drop below 80, then I can just do this. But Um. you know, here's the thing. That never happens. The patient's saturation stay in the mid-80s. Nothing changes. So, eventually, they decide, like, I, I, I got to do something. So, they get out a BVM from the kit, and they try to assist the patient via one-person BVM. But, you know, they struggle to hold a seal and, like, to coordinate their timing with the patient's own breathing rate, which is still about 18 a minute. And they're not sure entirely how long their partner Malefic was gone for, but they report that it took a long time. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Malefic is just fucking sprinting right now to make sure that this gets done on time. (laughs) Right. So Estrella is still trying to BVM the patient when Malefic returns, joined with another ambulance crew. Malefic uh, provides some cutting criticism to Estray for their attempted BVMing of the patient by laughing at them and saying, like, that's not doing anything. The other crew seemed lost as to the reason why Malefic didn't just, like, do some on-scene Narcan and walk the patient out. But if they had any concerns, they didn't voice them either. Um, Estray just sort of picked up the, like, confused kind of like, okay, what are we doing? Yeah. All right. So everyone jumped in, they roll the patient onto the tarp, and they carry them down the trail to the ambulance. So the patient is loaded up, and here's what happened en route. Estray was sent up front to drive. Um, th- so we don't know what the vitals were en route. Um, mm-hmm. The patient did get an IV and some fluid. Not sure what, not sure how much. They also did get some Narcan. Estray later noted that... Uh, they got to a chance to kind of like spot the monitor and they thought they saw what could be like ischemic changes, uh, on the EKG. So, you know, Damn. um, they drove lights, but no sirens to the hospital. And it was a very short transport. It's about two minutes. And then they waited for a bed, uh, to turn over care. And the patient was reported to become more alert, but was really far from coherent. So, and then, yeah, eventually care was turned over to the ED team. And did the oxygen saturations ever improve? To that, I can't say. Um, okay. I'm hoping that the patient was put on oxygen, but uh, I have, I you know, no yeah, idea. So to we be really honest. don't, we don't know exactly what ended up happening to no, this patient. Or... But, yeah. Well, I mean, here's what we do know. Um, okay. So immediately following this call, Astray and Malefic uh, had an argument about what transpired. Uh, Astray express their concerns about the patient care and Malefic's decision to withhold Narcan. And they've said basically like, it's unsafe and it's unfair. This isn't good patient care. Um, Malefic took this, this like criticism very poorly and responded in what we will call the physically intimidating fashion. Um, and they've said like Estray was wrong to question them about their treatment and that Malefic knows better because of quote experience. Oh, fuck that. So we don't know the patient's outcome aside from they went up to the ICU. And that's, uh, 
sure hypoxic brain injury is somewhere on that list or maybe sepsis or both yeah um yeah yeah but you know and here's the other thing we know uh astray said like yeah and if you're wondering no no one yelled at us for our egregious mismanagement of this call no licenses were lost or suspended there were no angry meetings with a medical director zero <coughs> zip nada zilch there was very little accountability so that's the call all right so <laughs> uh yeah. All right. So we have an EMT, a stray, and a paramedic, Malefic. Uh, malefic or Malefic? Am I saying that right? Malefic. Malefic. Okay. Uh, a stray and Malefic are dispatched to an overdose patient in a loft. Uh, it comes down as actually an AMS patient. Uh, they bring in one kit. No oxygen, mind you. No monitor, mind you, which are basic altered mental status pieces of equipment. The patient has these red lumps on their arms and the paramedic bandages those arms uh, so they can be carried down to the ambulance where the equipment is because apparently we bring patients to the equipment. Fuck kits. Uh, the paramedic leaves to go get more help so they can carry the patient down to the rig. Uh, a stray wants to give the patient Narcan because the patient's hypoxic, but they don't because of past instances where their partner has told them, like, put that shit away. So instead, they try and BVM the patient because, again, patient's hypoxic, uh, but they don't have much success because it's just one person trying to BVM. And you've probably heard this on this show before. Like if you're BVMing and you have two people, put two people on it. One person just focuses on that mass seal. It is much harder than we give it credit for. Um, I, I'm actually convinced that most of us poorly bag. We just don't know that we do. Um, yeah. The partner arrives a long time later with some other crew that has showed up uh, with a lifting tarp and they carry the patient down in the ambulance. The patient eventually did get some medical treatment. Uh, they got IV fluids uh, and some Narcan. And the call resulted in an argument between Malefic and Astray over the poor care they provided. But nothing else came of it. Malefic just basically tried to intimidate and there was no follow up. There was zero accountability uh, for anything that happened. So yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, uh, that was it. So here's the thing. I, I, I know that there are going to be people who out here who are like, I would never do this. I would never, this would never be me. I would never let my partner do this kind of stuff. And I, I just want to start, I guess, by giving a little backstory on why I picked this call. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, you know, it's not re- it's not because of the medicine. In fact, the, the medicine part of this call was actually pretty simple. Really, Chris, uh, you you summed it up really well. Like the yeah. bare minimum for this call was like, hey, give the patient oxygen and transport to the, the hospital where they can right. be worked up. Um, you know, and Narcan might be useful in that as, sure. a, you know, either to reverse the hypoxia or to, you know, diagnose what else could be going on with this altered mental status. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we can get into that in a bit. Um, but like the truth is Stray's story just really hit home with me. And I, I'm not going to lie. I had a hard time reviewing it because I like, fuck, I was just so mad for them. Yeah. And I was mad because like, I, I get it. I, I can understand not giving Narcan or why they might not have been able to like rightly tell their partner to fuck off. It's an uh, anger inducing sh- call, man. Yeah. When like when they have every right to to do that. I, yeah. You know, like, look, here's the thing. I was a kid who struggled to fit in. And some part of that is like struck with me. It's just like stuck with me my entire adult life. Um, You know, I just like I, I was I was just kind of the guy who feels like 
an outsider. It doesn't really fit, even if I wanted to, you know, like I felt that way at school, like at some of the earlier places I've worked. That's, you know, that was just sort of my life. And I spent a lot of time wanting to fit in and like wanting to have those connections that I saw other people like making and, you know, just, you know, that sort of stuff. And here's the thing, like when I found my way into EMS, in fact, like on the very first ride along for EMT school, like I knew I found my place. I found a place where I fit because it was this like EMS is filled with people who are just like me, you know, like the weird fucking dark humor. The oh, yeah, I, I call it the delightful awkwardness, you know, the, <laughs> o- the oversharing. Yeah, yeah, I call it that. Uh <laughs> Maybe less delightful to other people, but you know, the oversharing, <laughs> like, like in this yeah. moment right now, the oversharing. Yeah. yeah so I, <laughs> look, I found a place where I belong and that literally changed my life in like profound and positive ways. And so I, like, I can't speak for a stray. I don't know them. I don't know, like, you know, like how I, yeah, I just, I don't know them, but I know this for me. If I had been new, I, I wouldn't have wanted to do anything that would jeopardize like being able to belong to this group of people. Um, and so like I can relate to biting my tongue while being yelled at or getting belittled, you know, but I, by what I now recognize are like shitty senior partners. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know what it's like to have my ideas get passed over because, you know, like I'm new or just like an EMT or, you know, I was a baby medic and I, I, I can relate to failing to do the most right thing because I was afraid of like what that might cost. Now, you know, I got lucky in a lot of ways, you know, because like for every shift with a jerk that I worked, I had more where I got to work with incredible people who were really kind and helpful and like demonstrated real compassion, both to this, you know, this new partner, you know, me and to patients. I I also got to work in a system where accountability like was a thing. So like the likelihood yeah. of somebody getting away with shit like this was just so far like lower. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in contrast, Astray was a new EMT working for the first time on a 911 ambulance with a medic who had multiple decades of experience over them. You know, like Malefic was the authority in every possible sense of the word. They were the paramedic on the car with the authority over patient care. They were a senior provider with the company and someone that the company trusted trusted enough to put a new EMT with and they work in a system where there is really no accountability. There's no one going like, this is wrong. What are you guys doing? Mm -hmm. And so the, and and that's the thing is like those added pressures can make it harder to recognize those moments where the authority is in fact fucking wrong. And it's easy to think as a new person in this spot, like maybe it's me, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just don't understand because I don't have the street experience that these medics do. Maybe I'm missing the benefit here. You know, um, maybe I'm just being naive, you know, because everyone says like the real world isn't like the textbook. And so it's easy to kind of fall into that mindset or to accept bullshit, you know, because you're you're just you don't know enough to really stand. You don't feel like you know enough to really stand up. Um, right. 
You know, because I mean, really, like, what's the alternative explanation that like the managers at this ambulance company are friends with an abusive monster who shouldn't be working at all as a paramedic that like there is no real medical oversight in the system? Like, <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. that sounds it's, absurd, right? But they exist. Like, yeah. And like, and here's the other part of this, you know, as Stray said, like, it wasn't all that bad. Like, it wasn't all bad. Malefic really could be kind towards them and even supportive. Um, you know, so like there, it wasn't just like one onslaught of like abusive bullshit after another. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. This to me falls into that category, but like, I can understand being like, no, no, no. That like, you know what? We're making a connection here. <laughs> you know, like I, I can understand that, that feeling. So yeah, like, that that's why I have a hard time with this call is because like I can understand the reasons why Estray would do nothing for this patient. And I, I just, I want so badly to be able to absolve them from like their lack of action on this call because I get it. I, I, I can understand that pressure, but I, don't, but that's not in my power. And, and they pointed out to me, you know, like the, the bottom line is there was a patient who needed care and they they were in a position to do something and they ultimately didn't. Yeah. And, uh, you know, well, well, I, you know, I, I to me, that's a little too black and white. It's also not inaccurate. Yeah, that's true. And I picked this call because our show was made to highlight the realities and challenges of EMS from the perspective of those running those calls. And, you know, we talk about these overlooked operational hurdles like that complicate and frustrate our EMS calls. You know, it's the stuff that textbooks tend to leave out. Um, I think this call really highlights how like partner dynamics can be one of those hurdles, especially in a system where accountability is low. I, I think this call highlights a really severe example of how systems like this one, where the paramedic is absolutely in charge and where there is low accountability or oversight, allow for situations like one stray found themselves in. So why don't we kind of start with system fixes? Because I think yeah. that's kind of where, because you'd give me a heads up that, hey, there's there's system problems, crew interaction, low accountability, uh, and I need to start thinking about that shit. So let's kind of talk about the system there is. So it kind of goes without saying that I was boiling over for most of this call. Um, I had some outbursts in the background. Fucking kits, guys. That's why they're there. Bring them in. Uh, but, you know, and clinically, it could have gone like a number of ways. Like I talk about how like I could see like withholding Narcan if you're able to easily oxygenate the patient. Um, and if there wasn't much evidence uh, as of other possible causes for the patient's AMS. But for me personally, like I said, I, I would have Narcan this patient uh, possibly as a diagnostic measure, which is normally not something I would advocate for. But given the other treatment paths available, I thought it was helpful. Um, yeah. Uh, but like you said, like clinical isn't really the reason we are here because the clinical is pretty straightforward on this patient. Right. Um, I think so. We got to focus on the reasons that these clinical options weren't available. Um, they weren't even on the table due to the negligent. And I have no problem calling it that. And if you've been in EMS for a long time, you know, the word negligent is actually a very severe accusation. Um, but it's a negligent behavior of the crew. And it sucks that I have to say crew because they did both play their roles. And I, I totally understand Astray's position. Um, and I will say this, I, I believe that it was the nature of the lead medic that, that represented the biggest threat to this patient to Astray and to the agency they work for. Um, but, you know, they, 
they both yeah. did play a role for whatever reason. Uh, the fact that this medic has been around for a while and the system has little accountability uh, points to there being a much broader system issue uh, at play. So th- this is what I would call uh, an unjust system. So we've talked about things like just culture in the past and high reliability or, or organizations. And there's a lot of things that have to happen for those to work out. And one of the biggest things that has to happen is there has to be um, a the top-down, bottom-up accountability. And even people at the lowest level need to be free to speak up about things that happen and things that occur and mistakes that are made without fear of punitive action when mistakes uh, are made. Yeah. You know, those, those things happen. Uh, we make a clear division between, you know, what is a what requires coaching, you know, like clinical errors, things that are unintentional and like what requires uh, corrective action or what some people just plan on called discipline, which would be like behavioral behavioral issues. Um, the risk of a bad system that like this one is where, where there is no accountability, where people are not free to admit mistakes are you know you have lawsuits you have high turnover you have low morale uh one of the biggest things that you can do in a system like this is to promote something that we call in the flight industry we call it crm or crew resource management and that's where everyone has a voice and everyone has the ability uh to raise a red flag without fear of retribution retribution and that's just simply not what's going on here um now i also i and i do wonder you know i mean are astray did mention that, you know, there was no, you know, no one ever came back to them on this. I wonder, did astray even report it? Cause what I can tell you is like from the outside, unless you, unless you were astray, no one yeah. really knows what happened here. Yeah. Who else would know? No. I mean, yeah, you have the other responders that kind of came in. It's like, Oh, that's where they're not giving Narcan right now, but they don't have the whole story and they're probably not going to jump on board. So you have the patient arrives at a hospital with an IV and some fluid and Narcan given. So the hospital's like, okay, well that seems like the baseline treatments for us by the time the patient arrives to the hospital. So yeah. astray was really the only person with a perspective on this. And so that kind of leads me to wonder like, you know, is, is reporting, promoted in this culture is it does it go anywhere when things are reported and those are kind of all things that uh, that a just culture has in place is some yeah. sort of investigative process where uh, everyone has a voice and everyone has a say and it, it go ahead yeah oh, i was gonna say like i i really like the 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 like you brought up the crew resource management piece and like this is really important i want to just highlight that if i can yeah. which is like you know like aviation learned a long time ago that like hey you can't just have a pilot in charge right because it, it turns out like a pilot will be like i don't give a fuck what the tower said i'm gonna try and take off on this runway and then you know, another plane will land and everybody dies in a you know big ball yeah, of fire. Absolutely. Um, and, and those are, and so like literally the death of hundreds of people spawned people to go like this system sucks because one person sucks. Yeah. Like one person, even if they're trying to be good, still fucking sucks. Right. And you need a team of people to help, you know, <laughs> avoid everyone dying in burning yeah, fire. Exactly. Um, and and that's the same thing that we like that systems need to operate well is you need uh you need people to participate in that and to be able to be empowered to participate in that. So, yeah, yeah no, I 
full on. Yeah. Yeah. The other, the other big component, I would say a company that, that companies need is a robust QIQA process. You need calls to be reviewed. Uh, Spencer, the flight program we work for, like every single chart gets reviewed by a peer and then eventually, uh, by a, um, by higher level management or, uh, or higher level, uh, clinical management. Yeah. That's not always practical for every system, especially busy systems that are running hundreds of calls a day. Uh, that that would probably be very difficult. But there does need to be a QI uh, a QIQA uh, process where calls are routinely reviewed, reported or not, and that's going to kind of help things move forward and kind of keep people uh, to a certain standard. But yeah, so there's a QAQI process that definitely needs uh, to happen. The other thing I would say is it doesn't sound like this company has a solid uh, field training evaluation program or FTEP process. Um, it definitely sounds like it's, hey, new EMT, put them with the experienced person and, and they'll just they'll just get trained up. Um, I don't have yeah. a lot of you know specifics on this, but because um, it just didn't come with the call. Uh, I don't know if they do daily reports or, or or what have you, but having a robust FTEP process is really key to bringing up good employees and really taking the things that are learned in a QIQA process and instilling those in new employees as they come through. And the other thing, too, that I really like about a good, robust FTEP process, this isn't always available, but it's nice to have specific people who are highlighted as trainers. In other words, um, you know, these people are the F the FTO is kind of the common the common term you'll hear is field training officer um, or yeah. field trainer. And that's a, that's an employee that has set themselves aside. I mean, like I want to train new people because I have a, a passion for that. And I think that's really important because you get a lot of people out there who've been in the industry a long time, but they don't necessarily like training. I mean, Spence, you and I know plenty of people who have been in the industry a long time and they're great clinicians, but they yeah. just teaching and training just isn't their passion. They're not, particularly good at it uh, and it's not really their thing putting putting a new person with them is kind of a recipe for disaster because one they don't they don't want the new person yeah they don't and so they're going to try and just get through it and that does a disservice to the new person it also does a disservice to the person that doesn't want to train and it's just putting two people in a position that neither of them want to be in and that's not a good way yeah. to bring somebody into your company so having someone that is a dedicated fto that has said this is something i want to do uh, yeah. is the best way to go because that's really gonna you know have a good strong uh it's going to build strong employees, uh, you know, kind of coming through. So, and yeah. you also, you want your new employees to have a positive experience when they, when they onboard your company. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what FTEP process they have here. I, you mm -hmm. know, like, I don't know if this is sort of a deviation from the normal or if this is the standard. Um, but yeah, like I, I think an FTEP process is a, is a man, like a super necessary part of right. any kind of EMS system. What, uh, what would you recommend? Like what, if you were going to have your own ambulance service, the, the Chris Fingston ambulance service, <laughs> uh, what would you, aside from helicopters, what would you have your, <laughs> what would your FTEP process look like? F-16 jets. Uh, no, I, uh, yeah. So <laughs> no, the FTEP no process, uh, so one of the things that also that you'll probably like find find on, on this show is that I'm also kind of resource minded and I understand that my ideal FTEP process is expensive and you know, you, you can't have an FTEP process if it means you have to close the doors of the company, uh, later on. So, uh, you know, there, there is that provided the company's being reasonably financially responsible, there are there are times where trimming down the FTEP process uh, is necessary. Um, you do have to worry. There are some times where companies it's like, hey, like you should like 
you should be making enough money to do this. Why aren't you doing it? So I understand that like not everything in, in, in my ideal FTEP process is, is always available, uh, nor should a company necessarily do these things if it's going to mean other, you know, like we're not buying monitors, you know, so, but, yeah. uh, but here's kind of the, kind of the way that uh, the components that I think a, a solid FTEP problem, the basic components should have. The first thing is, is you need some kind of classroom portion and that, you know, how, however long your budget can really afford, um, but having a, you know, possibly the first month, if possible, really needs to be, because considering what we do, really needs to be classroom based. We're not running calls. We're not on a car. Have, you know, so, some companies are before do two weeks. That's fine. Like if that's what your budget accounts for, do two weeks. Maybe it's only one week. Um, but if you can have a portion where we orient ourselves to the company, get the basic human needs out. Like how do you get paid? How do you get your benefits? I know we're probably thinking right now, like, what does this mean for like, clinical shit though. Like we're talking about clinical outcomes here. What does that have anything to do with it? It it does because unfortunately employees are people and people need security like anybody else. And when you get into a company that advises you of of your basic needs as a person, when you come in and and work and you feel secure in that stuff and you don't have burning questions uh, like that, that actually sets you up for success and it makes you feel good about the company you're, you're working for, which has a much bigger impact than people give it credit for. I I, dude, No, totally. It's like Maslow's hierarchy, right? You know, like you need your basic needs met before you can kind of move on. Like you don't want to try and learn protocols at the same time. You're learning how to like fucking, you know, like, uh, how do I pay my 401k? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And then like, and and then start sitting the groundwork, like, okay, who do I go to with questions and what can I expect going forward? And then just kind of set the groundwork about, Hey, this is how this company works. And then have classroom time to do things like protocol tests, reviewing protocol. We all know that every agency we go for has different protocols than what we learned in school. And so start getting people really familiar with what the protocols and what they can expect. And then if you have time, get them familiar with charting because charting is a big thing. And then get people familiar with the layouts of your rigs, ambulances, fire stations, fire, fire apparatus, whatever they're going to be working in. Get them familiar with that stuff in low pressure situations, uh, classroom situations before they're having to do it out in the field. And then the next step after that, after orientation, is they need to be able to uh, go out into the field as a crew member that's not dependent on. That would be like, so if you have two person ambulances, they'd be a third rider. And it's basically for however long you can manage that, you know, within your budget. Um, I would say like, no, like currently the company that uh, the flight company I work for, uh, it's, it's 30 days as uh, your first month is as they'd call a third seat. Okay. So you're not dependent on, but you're still out there. Uh, doing the process. And now 30 days may be too much for your company. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's something else, but having a process where they can get out there and run calls and participate in the system as someone who's not relied upon gives them a low pressure environment uh, to learn. Then after that, move them into the role that they're going to be and have them be relied upon and make sure they're getting daily observation reports. People need daily feedback on how they're go- on how they're doing uh, on these things. And I'll get a little almost too specific here, like, but this is I'm just going to share one little trick that I love. Uh, so then they're going to get partnered with an FTO at this point. And yeah. the FTO is basically going to be observing them in the role that they're in. And one of the things that I used to do as an FTO, and I love this, is ask three questions after every call. No matter how stupid the call is, you ask these three questions. You're both going to answer the three questions, but they are going to answer first. And those three questions are this. What went really well? What did not go well? What should we do different 
next time. And here's the thing. It's totally appropriate to say everything went great. Nothing went wrong. I'm changing nothing. Now, you better have a really good explanation. Like, like, I mean, if you're a trainee and you're answering that way, like, you know, back it up. But that's acceptable. That's totally acceptable. It's also okay to say nothing went right. Everything went wrong. I would change everything. That's totally acceptable as well. But the reason you asked a trainee first is because trainees, they want to impress you. So if you answer first and you say, hey, I saw that this didn't go. So, this went great. This didn't go so well. And this is what we should do next time. What are your answers? They're very likely to just parrot what you said because they want to have the right answer, right? You essentially said, hey, I'm going to fill out the answers to the test for you. How would you fill them out? Well, they're going to fill them out the way you filled them out because you're the authority. Versus C. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Versus if you ask them first, that's going to give you all kinds of information. It's going to let you know where, where they are at. Uh, It's going to let you know like what they saw. It's going to let you may be aware that they may be dealing with a struggle that you didn't even see. It could be that they pop up, they pull out something about the call that you learned from. And it's kind of one of those things to where if they're able to answer freely and openly, uh, it'll make you aware of the actual struggles they're having on scene uh, as opposed to feeling like, you know, they're being tested. And then you answer after that. Um, and that will also give you the opportunity. Like they may see things that are like, God, I did this poorly, you know, and then you can come back and say, no, actually you didn't. This, you know, this is given everything that happened. You actually did a great job. So yeah. I love a- asking those three questions because it puts everyone on the same page uh, pretty consistently. And the other thing I like to do is I like to tell them, especially if they're doing the third ride where they're not um, being relied upon. I always tell them, I say, hey, here's the best thing is if you have any question, you know, like ask it and I'm going to ask you what your opinion is on a ton of stuff. And here's the best thing about right now. You get to be so completely and utterly wrong. Like that's the beauty of where you're at right now. You're supposed to be like, like if you get something wrong, that's awesome because now we know what we get to talk about. Now we know, now we know what we get to train. So do not worry about being right with every single question right now. Like you're, you are at that beautiful spot where you're new. You're supposed to learn. So fuck it, get things wrong. It's totally okay. And kind of give them that. uh, Yeah. Give them that, give them that ability to be like, no, like, like being wrong about stuff right now is okay. You're, you're here to learn. I'm here to make sure that things don't go so wrong that it affects the patient. That's my job. Okay. You're here to, to learn how, how we treat patients. Uh, anyway, so that, that's kind of my ideal, uh, FTEP process. Uh, and then as far as correction for people who aren't making it, oh, sorry. And then it goes on. Usually what I would like to do is you should probably do two months. Uh, or two rotations rather one with one FTO and then one with another before you're fully vetted. And that kind of gives people the opportunity because Spencer, as you and I both know, sometimes people just don't mix Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's not anyone's fault. It's just training styles. Don't mix people don't mix because people are people. So they always get a second chance. Uh, and then the, it's the last, the last FTO either gives them the yay or nay. And if they get a nay, depending on what it is, in most cases, they should get a third rotation with a third FTO, um, unless it's something egregious, in which case, you know, you, you part ways. Uh, yeah. but anyway, that is Chris's ideal, uh, FTEP foundations. Yeah. So, uh, but also if you're going to have all that kind of moving past FTEP, uh, sort of uh, another note that I have here, having an involved medical director uh, is super important uh, as well. Uh, Having some kind of clinical authority that you can go to and be like, hey, like, what is the answer here? What should we have done uh, is absolutely paramount because we can only write protocols for so many situations, right? Things come yeah. down to opinion sometimes and having an involved medical director, especially someone who's involved in the QIQA process we talked about earlier uh, and really sets the standards moving forward, I think is absolutely uh, paramount. And it also keeps 
people like Malefic from becoming the clinical authority on how things could be done. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Jesus. So like, yeah. yeah, we need someone else to be a clinical authority uh, on on oh, this. Yeah. Uh, you know, who who makes a presence known? Because, I mean, every system has a medical director, you know, like that's the thing. But like the level of involvement <laughs> needs yeah. to, like they need to show up. They need to be there. They need to, you know, update their protocols. They yeah. need to review information, you know. Um, yeah. Like <laughs> I love it when they come and do like ride alongs. I mean, I'm nervous when like, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. I. Did, is there a reason you picked my car? Uh, yeah. This is the day that I'm going to miss every IV, apparently. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. exactly. Like, I'm going to tune them all. Yeah, but really? it's still good that they, they're there, you know, that they yeah. show up and that they see what people are going through. Um, you know, because yeah. I, I bet you if there were an involved medical director who, like, occasionally wrote out uh, that day, uh, ox- oxygen and monitors would be up on every call. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't matter. It's like, uh, it's, we have to bring it up to the top of Mount Everest over here. <laughs> well, I guess we're shit, doing it. I guess we're, I guess we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Medical director, can you carry that? No, you can't. Okay. Um, but no, so it's, uh, but you know, and Spencer and I have both been pretty lucky in the systems that, that we worked out. Our medical directors have been like rock stars. Um, so like they, they've always been really involved. Uh, thankfully I've never had to work under medical director, like where a medical director isn't involved, but I've certainly seen systems where it's like, yeah, the medical director exists to sign protocols and that's it. That's, yeah. uh, that's what the medical director does. They just yeah. sign last year's protocols and then a lawsuit comes up and then they'll take something away. So that lawsuit doesn't happen again. And then they sign that protocol <laughs> and, like and fire those people. Remember, yeah, cause it's yeah, the, those, fire people those people made that one mistake that one time. Yeah, it's not <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fire those people and then just take, take, you know, defibrillation out of the protocol because they defibrillated wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Dude, that's it. All paramedics can only use the AED mode now. <laughs> that's it. Um, um, and so then finally also, um, you know, this wasn't really highlighted in this episode so much, but uh, I think it's important when we're talking about the overall culture, you know, everyone should have a voice. You need a QA, QI process, robust FTEP pro, uh, process, an involved medical director, and your leadership needs to be, I mean, I think some people will call it the servant leadership position, but I've always kind of said this, like being a supervisor, being a good supervisor, it's a service position. It's not, do not take those positions and do not put people in those positions because they like authority and they like to command and those kind of stuff. Being a solid leader what it means is that the actions you take are all designed to build up your employee. We don't discipline some people just for the sake of letting them know they fucked up. We discipline people to let them know how they become a better employee. So everything you do needs to revolve around building a better employee, whether it's coaching or whether it's discipline, you have to understand the end goal and let the, and make sure the employee knows this. Everything we do, whether it's discipline or coaching, the end goal is to help you be a really good employee. This is all in support of you and you only fire people you only fire people when you when one you can no longer trust them because this require this job requires so much trust so lying is a big one when dishonesty comes in uh, or it comes down to the point to where they are either unwilling or unable to take the steps uh, to improve in areas that they that they need to improve in and the liability to keep them on just becomes too great um, yeah. if your system is good most people will know they are getting terminated long before you tell them 
Absolutely. That's that, that is a sign uh, of a good of a good system. When someone when they've been called into the office and they know exactly what's about to happen, that's a sign of a good system because people do need chances. Now, there are cases, of course, where it's like, hey, come on into the office. Yeah, we got you on the security doing crack off the back of the ambulance. You know, like uh, you're fired like th- that. That person might not see it coming like that's that. That's a different case. But I mean, uh, but yeah, but generally speaking, the, the argument could be made that you should. If you're smoking crack in the back of your ambulance, um, yeah. and, and <laughs> then you should probably expect to be fired. Uh, right. Or, yeah. when, you know. when you're caught, but uh, they might not know they're caught until they're. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, valid, valid. So, yeah, exactly. So anyway, so those are uh, that's. Those are some system yeah. things that I just don't think were present that really need to be here. Yeah. Now, Chris, I mean, a lot of this comes from companies, I think, going like, hey, what we have is pro- like seems fine. And all mm-hmm. this other stuff sounds expensive to implement. And like, you know, if we don't if we're not looking for the lawsuits, like odds are they're not going to hit us. Right. Like, I mean, like, uh, it, 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 like, why no. should companies do the pay this extra money yeah. uh, to do this work? Because like you said, it, it you know, like it requires um you know you you are it's changing work. the infrastructure yeah it's it's, it's money work. it's yeah. money and it's like well is it really worth the money like what benefits does this give i guess is yeah. like what's so the- the, 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 there's definitely not a quick return on investment and i know it's it's very difficult for a lot of companies to want to take this leap because it's hard to say one of the things it's easy to do, it's easy to buy an ambulance and to calculate the fuel and maintenance cost and then to know how many runs and then be like, all right, this ambulance is going to make this many transports in this amount of time. So this is my return on investment on the ambulance. That's an easy thing to do. You can quickly see the results of that yeah. right away. Um, this is harder. It, it, it doesn't come. The, the results come down the road and, and there's no guarantee of exactly how, how they're coming. Um but it's absolutely necessary. And first of all, the main reason you should do this and what happens a lot of times when people start moving over to a just culture is they start one of the things that you'll see a lot of people, by the way, if you're, if your company's truly considering going over, going over to a just culture, getting a consultant that's familiar with it to help you um, is, is absolutely key. It, it's a lot to learn. Uh, I, I am not a consultant. I don't, I'm not pitching a specific consultant. I'm just saying there are some of them out there. Find a reputable program that can help in your area to get started. Uh, and the reason being is because what a lot of these consultation companies will do is they will come in and they will immediately start allowing employees to do some blind reporting. And it's like, hey, do blind reporting. Every time something happens, do blind reporting. Your company will commit to no punitive action based on these things at all. Just do some blind reporting. And what ends up happening as a, as a company and the reason that, that companies end up going all in on just culture, like once they start and they, and the reason it's taking off is because all of a sudden the companies realize how much shit actually goes on in their own backyard and how li- how close to the line of liability they have been uh, for oh so long. Uh, one case in point is there was, it was actually a uh, it was actually a, a dispatch agency and they were switching over to uh, HRO. And one of the things is because a lot of companies do it this way, H- right? Like we just we HRO just, being high reliability organization. Uh, gotcha. Thanks, man. Just culture thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, so a lot of companies do things this way. Hey, uh, this is a certain type of mistake you shouldn't make. If you make it, you're going to get suspended. If you make it again, you get fired. A lot of companies do do things that way. And they don't really look into and, and that's called being outcome biased. And you don't really look into the decisions or factors or the system leading up to that occurring. So what ends up happening is employees just hide it when that happens. 
And yeah. so you have no idea when it happens. It's apparently important to your company that it doesn't happen. And so companies are like, all right, cool. I, I call it, it's like we're talking about, it's the fucked up bumper policy, right? Basically, all you have is you have these companies now that have fucked up ambulance bumpers because they have a backing policy or they have some policy about like, you know, you know that, that basically doesn't make sense because like, hey, you only have two people. One's in the back with the patient. One's driving. How do you have a backer? Uh, you know, and so all that happens is people still back into shit. They just don't report it anymore because when they back into shit, they just get fired without any sort of investigation. So it the damage keeps happening. You're just not aware of it. And so one particular case, there was a dispatch company where, uh, you know, it, it was basically like you got in trouble if you made typos and when you're when you're encoding a call. And uh, so what happened was, is that people just didn't <laughs> report the typos anymore. And it just, you know, they just, they were like, oh shit, this bad thing happened. And then just like, no one ever knew about it. And so finally they were going, they, they determined they were, they were a high reliability organization. They needed just culture. And the guy said, all right, uh, just culture consultant came in and said, okay, Here's what you guys are going to do. Every time it happens, you're going to report that it happens, but it's anonymous. You drop it in. You don't see anything about the call. You just you're putting a tally mark on a tag and you're dropping it in. And the company was fucking shocked on how much it happened daily. It happened all the time, like literally constantly. And so <laughs> then they started like looking at the uh, the system leading up to it. It's like, how does this happen? And the company's like freaking out. And so they they brought everyone you know into a meeting, uh, you know, like, hey, so it turns out this happens a lot. And the consultant just asked like, hey, guys, why does this happen? And the guy said, and one of the employees says, hang on, I'll be right back. Walks outside, comes back in with a keyboard. He goes, this is a problem. And he holds up the keyboard. Guess what's wrong with the keyboard, Spence? Um... Uh, the All keys the are missing. Uh, well, no. They, well, okay. That's an ambulance problem for sure. But uh, in a dispatch center, they tend to stay in one spot. So they don't break quite like that. Uh, all, right. all the, all the letters are worn off because they're typed on all the time. Oh, <laughs> yes. yeah. And yeah. so this is the difference. This is why a just culture works is there's this huge problem. That the company doesn't want to happen that they're now suddenly aware of. And the fix is simple. It costs money. But all of a sudden, these bigger problems that you didn't think were happening, they were actually happening. They were actually costing you money, like bent fucking bumpers you have to replace, broken lights you have to replace that nobody knows how they got there. All of a sudden, you now have a system to look at where you can be like, oh, hey, wait a second. Maybe we should be getting backup cameras in, in, in the ambulances. Maybe we should be getting power loaders to avoid injuries and drop patients. Maybe we should be doing these different things. So, yeah, you don't know what you don't know, and it may seem cheaper right now, but you're probably losing money in ways you're not even aware of because you don't have a culture where people can safely report what's going on and you're putting yourself really close uh, to liability and that is why you need to invest in these so i'm going to call so i guess the next question is then like if you're the employee what if my company doesn't do this right one of the other things to this is I, i like in systems where there is accountability where they're like employees feel empowered to speak up um and like where you have these you know like the servant leadership you're just you have people who want to participate in the system and who are encouraged to that tends to get more buy-in from employees and they stay a lot longer and you lose a lot of these toxic assholes who are just like i'm just in it to be powerful like Mm -hmm. because they don't want to stay because now it's work you know they can't just like pat it pass it off on other people um and so like you, you you have an improved morale you have improved patient like outcomes um you know but Likely, I would imagine. I I don't know if there's any data to really support that, but like, I would imagine so. Like, if you have people who are like, I like going to work today, 
uh, they t- probably deliver better care than the people who are like, I fucking hate this place. I can't wait to leave. Like, right. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's a there's another return on investment that probably is, you know, like you again, like you're probably not going to see up front. That's just going to be, you know, years down the road when you're like, man, it's so nice that we're not like spending all this money on tr- training these people who just fucking leave. Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. Well, and then you have, you know, there's another associated cost with, with staffing issues. And that is you lose contracts. If you can't show up to take people because you can't staff, then you lose contracts. So yeah, at, at, at the end of the day, uh, you will see companies that have staffing issues because they didn't promote this kind of culture because the culture had major problems and they lose people. And in the long run, it costs them big. I mean, the biggest source of income for a lot of private ambulance companies is going to be contracts. And while the 911 system is a little bit harder to lose, you can lose it. Uh, but the non-emergency contracts, they will go away, especially if competition comes in. And uh, that's the other thing, too, is sometimes you get these systems where it's like, ah, oh, there's no competition around until one day there is. And then you just get steamrolled. So, yeah, yeah. Um, which kind of brings me to my next point is. So what if what if what if you're the employee here and your company's not doing this? And because, like, unfortunately for Astray. And this sounds, and unfortunately, this does not sound like the kind of company that's going to be taking on a just culture environment anytime soon. Um, so here's yeah. what I would, what I would say, and I know how this is going to sound, but if you're, if you are at a company that does not seem to be getting the message that does not embrace a just culture, um, and has these toxic employees that are just there that are providing poor care, um, you need to leave. And I totally understand. I understand there's going to be people out there that are going to be like, yeah, but I have to feed my kids. It's not as easy as leaving a company that I don't like. And I guess my response to that is this, is that you're right. And I understand, but uh, start working on that plan as soon as possible because With companies like this, a company that is this bad where this kind of care is happening and they're losing staff uh, and the towns are dying, um, you're going to leave one way or another. It can either and it's either going to be your choice or eventually you're going to be in a lawsuit because you worked with Malefic and finally Malefic finally treated the wrong person who was able to sue. And now you're in a lawsuit and companies like this, they just terminate you. Yeah, that's how it's going to work. What's going to happen is this is not a company that takes responsibility for for its own system problems and its own actions. They will just, you know, they will terminate you to try and save face. And that's what's going to happen. You could be involved in something that costs you your paramedic certification. And then where are you going to go? The longer you stay at a company like this, the bigger the risk you put yourself out to never achieve this kind of income again. So right now, if you still have your, if you still have your certification and you're still able to start looking at other jobs, you're in the best position to leave that you ever will be. It only gets harder to leave from here on out. And you, again, it may not be on your own terms anymore. It may be on their terms and you may lose so much more when it's not on your terms. So and I also want to add just as like a, you know, like there is a, there is a mental health cost to staying at a toxic place. You know, 100%. like burnout, burnout is high when you work in a place where you're like, why, what is the point of, 
of trying to do care, you know, cause that's, yeah, like that's, that's what it'll come down to is you'll, you'll just, you'll, you'll like, there's no point. Nobody wants to do good care. Everybody, you know, like everyone is angry and, and shitty. And that, that that's a horrible place to, we talk about that in like the head and the heart, how like if every time you interact with somebody, it's negative, that, that is, that is just, it builds up. You, it's unsustainable. So yeah, yeah like don't don't stay. <laughs> leave, no. please leave these yeah. places. And, and the other thing is, when you stay, like you're only you're only allowing a company that needs to be replaced to to linger. That's yeah. that that that's kind of the problem. There is you're actually you're enabling this company to continue to poorly serve uh, the population around it. Uh, yeah. And I know that there's kind of like this thing, like, but I don't want to like, I don't want to quit on the people in my community. I don't want to quit on them. Maybe you feel that you're the last bastion of good medical care. Um, but you're all you're doing is, is allowing a bad system to to continue to be worse. And unfortunately, systems like this where there's little oversight, so it's very unlikely that there's a local health authority that will replace them. Um, systems like this they go away by attrition. People leave. Yeah. Um, but I will say this, they do inevitably go away. Um, we are, we're really starting to see sort of the, I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming that this sounds kind of like a private ambulance company. Um, yeah. Okay. And so I, uh, you know, pr- private ambulance companies, uh, they are, they work in some systems. They work really, really well, um, but they don't work in every system. And we're not seeing, new private ambulance companies, by the way, we're not seeing a ton of new private ambulance companies spring up anywhere. Um, so the, the private ambulance company model is starting to change, you know, before us. And there are some that are in a really good position, uh, to change and possibly start working and integrating with government agencies, uh, to improve medical oversight and improve service and those kind of things to be able to keep with the times. Um, but there are some like probably this one that are very likely just going to rot and go away because of an inability to change or adapt with the times and become yeah. a high reliability organization that really takes pride in good clinical care. So yeah, yeah the, uh, the lowest bidder ambulance service is, 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 a, is a dying thing in the United States. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what those other normal countries do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about, I, I want to shift over here to some of the interpersonal things. I, I, I love the, the system pieces um, yeah. and everybody should work in a system that encourages that um but you know even even if you do if you do work in a place like that it can be hard you know to to speak up you know like so if you're new to the field i want you to know like encountering providers who act as monstrous as malefic did um that's thankfully rare fuck i hope right <laughs> oh god i hope but like that person aside like you will encounter people that you work with with whom you will disagree about treatments or care plans because we're human and ems is fucking complicated and you know like as we talked about like having a system that supports you getting to have a voice and like and holds you know providers accountable that that's huge but you still need to be able to use that voice and it it can be really hard to do that you know i 
I learned how to be assertive basically through being a paramedic and, you know, and working with companies that like recognize the importance of like crew resource management and companies that have also gone out of their way to like help me and support me in using that voice and speaking up. And so again, this is really important, not just for like the patient, but also for you, you, you know, like patient care aside, you don't want to have to stand in front of a board of people and be held accountable for a plan that you absolutely disagreed with. And right. that would be the case. Like if, if, if this call had been called to the floor, a stray would have been up there and they've been like, but you didn't, you didn't want to do this. Why? So why didn't you say anything? Yeah. And unfortunately, and when you were with the patient by themselves, yeah, you like, anything then exactly. And like, again, oh, while those things, I, I, well, you know, like I think, many people would be sympathetic to the plight that Estray was in. It's still really hard to look back and, and have someone go like, so why didn't you do the, why didn't you do the right thing? And the best answer is like, I I didn't want to like, right. You know, like that's, that's a bad spot to be in. So no, I can tell you nobody will be, nobody will be impressed. So here's, here's the thing. In this, you have to assume if you don't say something, you are, you are consenting to whatever plan has been proposed. If you don't say no, you are saying yes. Silence is consent. Silently disagreeing with somebody who's taking action or who's proposing a plan is basically saying like, yeah, I, I, maybe I don't agree, but I don't disagree strong enough to say anything. So sure. Like that's, that's what that says. That's what silence says. So you have, you need to say something, uh, Mm -hmm. right. But there's a way to say something. And so like, let's talk about how to disagree. So, you know, you should, because you want to do what's right for the patient. You also want to do what's right for your career. So yeah, say something. So when you do disagree, when you do speak, you should talk in clinical terms. Do not get personal. Don't say like, Dave, your plan fucking sucks. Just like Mm -hmm. you, you know, you say like, Hey, you know, Hey, I'm concerned uh, with this plan because of this, you know, like uh, here's an example of like a statement that maybe you shouldn't make, uh, you know, like for instance, don't make a statement like uh, the patient's SPO2 is low because that's a, it's as well, it's a true statement. It It's really not, it doesn't, have any call of like call to action it's just you're pointing out a fact and yeah that everyone knows yeah and then you're hoping that other people will kind of run with so what you should say is like hey it looks like their spo2 is low i think we should put them on a non-rebreather mask since they're you know like the respiratory rate is okay and then that a lot that provides a like hey i see a problem and i have a clinical solution to that problem now, if the group, like if the medic you're working with disagrees, like don't get mad. I, I would say don't start with like, what the fuck, Dave? You know, what the fuck, Malefic? Like, why are you mad about right. wanting me? Like, just go like, well, if they go like, no, nah, I don't think we should do that. Say like, hey, is there a reason we shouldn't put them on oxygen that I'm not seeing that I'm missing? I just want to make like, what am I missing here? Um, And you want to do that in sort of that curious fashion because like, Hey, there might be a reason and maybe it is valid. Maybe there is some aspect of the, like EMS. We, we encounter that all the time. Occasionally there are things that like 
we have to compromise. You know, like I remember in uh, amputee with an AMI, I disliked the fact that they had to take this patient who was clearly having a an MI off the monitor to get him out of the house. But those right. are competing values because like, hey, more important than keeping him on the monitor, like we need to get him the fuck out of the house. Right. And so like I could see like there maybe there is some valid reason that has a higher like priority than the value that I am you know, focused on, but mm-hmm. that allows you to have that discussion and to kind of work together as a team to come up with the better way, you know, the, the best path forward. If the reason is something along the lines of like, that sounds like hard work and I just don't want to do that. Like this also, like that will become pretty clear with this line of questioning. And if you just kind of keep, you know, like if you were like, I don't, I still don't understand like what it, cause they're going to come up with, you know, explanations for why the reason like why we shouldn't put this patient on oxygen but you can kind of keep coming back with like i don't understand because you know like for instance if you quote your protocols like hey our protocols say in this situation like we need to put this patient on o2 that is like you know it's it's just under make sure they have an open airway (laughs) yeah like make sure they're oxygenating um Mm -hmm. that that gives you that that opportunity to kind of like brace against that that thing and really like if they if they don't have any answer or real rationale like that will come out here you know what i mean like yeah there's no path forward for them and so they really have to just sort of like cave to the right thing to do or you know again you guys have that discussion and you figure out a path forward that you know best you know works in for the patient in whatever situation you find um now the hard part here i think is like and the thing that we're often afraid of is that the like other provider might not respond well, you know, like, Hey, what if I piss them off? What if they raise their voice? You know, like a person who's feeling defensive might do they might not be wrong. They just might feel like you think they're really wrong. And that tends to make people defensive. So if I'm, if I'm asking somebody like, Hey, I, I don't understand yet. I'm, I'm sorry. Can you explain this to me? Like, why are we not doing this? Why are we doing a instead of B? I think we should do B first. Um, I tend to start with sort of a gentle, confused tone because like my assumption is we're all trying to be, we're all working on the same team. We're all trying to work in the patient's best interest. Like, Hey, have I done something to offend you? Because when I ask that question, that's a mirror moment. It lets them know that I see that they are sort of like escalating their response or their behavior and gives them an opportunity to like sort of recognize they're doing that and to, you know, like adjust or to clarify like exactly why they're upset. You know, maybe I have done something wrong. You know, at this point, you should be able to like you should be able to point out your concerns in a clinical fashion. And ask them to like help you understand the benefit, the benefit of like their plan with your concerns in mind. Like help me come to you. I'm worried right. about this. I, I just, I need this to be satisfied before I can like really jump into this plan. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing. Like if the provider still, dis- if you and the other provider still disagree and you really think there's potential for like legitimate harm to happen to this patient, like they're going to be off oxygen for 10 minutes while we go do this. Like yeah. this is a good spot to contact online medical control and get a doctor to weigh in someone who has the authority that like you might not feel you have, because I'll tell you what, if a doctor says to do it, most more times yeah. than not, the other providers go like, well, it's not what I wanted, but like the doctor said we have to. So we have to. Yeah. 
accepted shocking mistakes that uh, <laughs> in which case he just yeah. does it. And here's yeah. the thing. If you escalate to the point where like, hey, I feel strongly about this to the point where like I, I want to talk to a doctor because I think I think we're missing something here. I, I think my, you know, like then if the medic is trying to do like something because like it's a lot of work and they're just trying to avoid work, they, they should know they won't have a leg to stand on. And that like should spur them to be like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll just do it your way. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, but that's actually exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, honestly, like they'll probably just say that. Oh, fuck it. Cause it it's like, especially in this particular call where oxygen is so obviously needed. Like exactly. Basically exactly. Call, it's basically like calling a botanist to ask if you should water your plants, you know, like, yes, <laughs> Yeah, you like, know, like it's yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, again, I, I, in a system where the like where this isn't encouraged, um, you, you shouldn't. If you can't do these things in your system, do not work in that system or right. plan your exit because this is the bare minimum that like you should be able to do as a partner on the ambulance. This is what I would expect from all my partners and that I make sure like I go out of my way to make sure that my partners know they have a say because I need them to, I need them to like be like, Hey Spencer, uh, <clears throat> CBG, you know, right. or like, exactly. Oh, you're going to cycle that uh, auto cuff again. You didn't like that first number. Like I need people to be like, you know, Hey man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that I don't do the dumb shit that I, uh, I tend to want to do. Um, right. Yeah. And look, again, like most of the time, most of the time people like it's okay. People disagree. And we have the, you know, we have these dynamic situations where like we have these competing values and, you know, we operate in less than ideal situations. And sometimes we have to pick less than ideal solutions. But, you mm -hmm. know, you, you want everybody sort of on board with the plan to care for the patient. And you want every member of the of, of this group to be able to speak up and to highlight problems that you might encounter. It's a group job. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like Absolutely this isn't a, is. this isn't a, the paramedic is in charge job. Fuck those guys. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't, and don't let any fuckheads yell at you. They're like, I'm going to yell right now. Don't let them <laughs> yell at you. This is, this is, what the fuck? We're, yeah. There's no, there's no reason for to this. yell. There isn't a reason to yell. There isn't a reason to yell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So, I, I think the other thing is like, if you work with a partner who like doesn't want to bring stuff in, then like set yourself up for success, like set yourself up for success. Don't make mm -hmm. that an additional hurdle. Like if yeah. stray had been like, Hey, I'm bringing the oxygen in this case, like then guess what? That's one thing they don't have to worry about while their partner's gone. Is they're like, yeah, yeah it's a lot easier to turn on an oxygen bottle than it is to give Narcan. So, yeah you know don't don't make your job harder than it has to be bring in stuff that way when it's come like if there is a fight about like ah, oh, but that means i have to go out and get stuff that's mm -hmm. one less fight you have to have because you go like hey uh no we don't because uh did we you know this yeah it turns out that you could bring equipment in to yeah. a call they design these things for them they're called <laughs> kits yeah. Oh, you have to drag the whole yeah. wall up here. Oh man! Like, does he get on the scene? And be like, oh gosh, how are we gonna drive the ambulance into this person's apartment? Wait a second! If only there was a device <laughs> that could take the equipment here. Jesus Christ! <laughs> and I, I think, 
if you ever find yourself with a person working with a person who treats you like malefic treated astray, I think here are astray's own words. It's not always easy to do the right thing. Sometimes doing the right thing will get you yelled at. Sometimes it will make everyone think you're stupid or uncool. And it's harder than you think to disobey orders in the moment. I guess the only wisdom I have on that is like, keep your eyes on the prize. The important thing is the patient and their outcome. So if doing something is going to make your medic pissed off at you, but you strongly believe like your patient will get a better outcome. Well, it's kind of a no brainer. That doesn't mean it's easy, but the decision making process becomes a lot clearer. I really and I like think, that. And I, I think that's the piece to remember is like at the end of this, we are all trying to do good patient care. And if they're not, then they don't like if someone on your team isn't, then they should not be on your team. And you need to work in a system where you can where that person can be managed yeah, you know, and corrected and, or invited to fuck off. <laughs> right. And a quick plea to senior medics. This is on this is on us. Like when you when you're a senior paramedic as well, I mean, it, we do need a system that manages senior paramedics. Obviously, we've talked about that. Yeah. Um, but like. To those of us out there that are senior, that are going to have people uh, under us, you don't don't first like here's just kind of my plea. Don't be the asshole. You don't need to be cool. Nobody needs, you know, the super cool paramedic that manages to ignore their patient because it's not cool. Um, but for some reason, in some cultures, it is the person, you know, the the less you do, the cooler you, you are. I, whatever. <laughs> um, also, you're not infallible. And it's actually OK to have. uh <laughs> to have your failures pointed out or, or failures, I guess maybe that's a little strong word, but to have your missteps pointed out by someone with less experience, that's not a problem at all. The other thing that becomes a problem is when you try and make awkward explanations for the shit you did wrong to make it seem like it's right. Um, just remember also patients. People, we never check CBGs. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, just, yeah. We just don't do it ever actually. Cause, uh, you know, I want to reduce the risk of infection from the laceration that the CBG causes. That is, oh, I mean, man. You know. I mean, it is a laceration. Oof. Yeah, absolutely. Oof. I mean, if you ever see one of those infections go bad, oh, you don't want to see that experience. <laughs> experience. Um, yeah. Uh, also, remember, people do respect a team player. So so be a team player. I mean, the best the best senior medics, like the best example of senior medics I've ever walked away from are people who like PIC the shit out of a call as a team player, not the guys who like did the cool thing. Um, people also respect compassion and you need to have a lot in this job, not just for your patients, but for new people kind of coming up and also kind of remember what we talked about the whole servant leader uh, bit. And that is just remember the things you do, especially in regards to training a new person, or if you're a supervisor somewhere, the things you do uh, all need to be in service of building a better employee or a better partner. There's no, you don't do things just to break them down or just to let them know they fucked up. They probably know they fucked up. You're not, that's not new info to them. By the time, by the time they are coming to terms with what you're about to tell them, they know things went askew. Uh, so make sure that uh, yeah. what you're doing uh, has a has a point to it, an end goal to make them better and make sure they know that it's really important that they know that. And it's it just yeah. had the blunt conversation. Hey, you know, like uh, we're going to do this, like you need to go on this performance improvement plan. We're going to be evaluating you for a bit, um, you know, and uh, until such time, you know, you're not a lot, you know, we're not going to let you do certain things if you have to, if you have to do risk yeah. mitigation. Um, but, you know, we're doing this because we do want you as an employee here. And, yeah. and this then we want to build uh, a better employee. And, you know, just so you know, like 
everyone in their career has a moment where they got to go back and learn something again. So don't feel bad about this. We're here for you. This is how we want to get there and be open with that conversation. You're going to get a lot of buy-in. Yeah. It's inclusive. Ideal. yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, this call to be run ideally to to, to back up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Number one, and I know I know I maybe haven't mentioned this in the episode yet, um, but they should have brought their kits in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just hearing this now. I don't Surprise. understand. Yeah. But they should yeah. have brought their kits in. They should have brought in, and they only had an O2 bottle and a monitor left. Like that's it. They should have yeah. just brought those things in, and only one guy carried a kit in. The other guy did fuck all. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, and in an ideal world, uh, Malefic would have been replaced with, uh, you know, chaotic neutral. I don't know. Just someone nor someone not mean and evil. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. I, yeah. So like you would have had a partner who would actually like in want to bring kits in. Um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I think they would have given O2 on scene. I think a non rebreather, like you said, to get the sats up would have been good. Yep. Um, I think we both. Then, yeah, I think we both agree that uh, you know Narcan later on in the call is pro- probably warranted. The only time I'd say giving Narcan on scene is if you're really having difficulty getting those sats up. Which, yeah. given that they were mid 80s and the rest drive was still there, I don't see that being the issue. Um, but you know, if you're on scene and you're trying and you're trying to get sats up and they're and it's just not happening, uh, then then maybe you would move to Narcan uh, on scene yeah. for this guy. But also keep in mind the scene they were in; they were like. You know, through yeah. the woods, around the mountain, and then on top yeah. of another building, and so you know, yeah, they're, um, they're pretty isolated. Yeah, for so. sure. Uh, and I, you know, I think it's fine if you, you know, like if you can to, you know, to fix that problem, and then like start moving the patient toward, like, plan the exit yeah. to get the patient down to the ambulance to do the rest mm-hmm. of the stuff. Um, assuming that you can correct the oxygenation on scene, it's a long trip down. If you can't correct it on scene, despite Narcan and despite O2, then like maybe an advanced airway, but that becomes a whole different process. It's a different and call at that point. It's a we're different about, call. So. Exactly. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I think moving the patient down after correcting the hypoxia is a great thing. And then mm-hmm. in the ambulance, I would have hoped that like a 12 lead would have been performed with the, just the, yep altered mental status you know and especially like it sounds like there was a long way to the patient i think once you know it's a long way uh to the patient um that that like request help then like if you know it's gonna be uh an adult um yeah so and then another thing that uh, i'll add in here is end title i think would have been something good to have you know especially when we're talking about you know respiratory rate whenever for me whenever respirations are concerned that whenever you need to count them, be it for a respiratory call or altered LOC call, uh, especially if you're suspecting sepsis, put on that entitled nasal cannula. It's an awesome metric of breathing rate. Um, we've talked about this before is more often than not, we count respiratory rate like this. Oh, they're working really hard and it's really noisy and it sounds fast. Eh, I don't know, 30. Like that's kind of <laughs> how we, uh, that's kind of yeah, how we count. Or, yeah. or they don't appear to be struggling breathing. The problem with septic patients is they often don't appear to be struggling breathing. They don't. Uh, the reason our respiratory rate is high has nothing to do with any kind of impedance or constriction in their lungs. And so it's not necessarily audible. And so it doesn't really hit your senses. And so more often than like, I, I've seen so many septic patients with a respiratory rate of 18, which also means we didn't count. Uh, um, written down on the uh, on the form, but then you put them on a on an end title, and you can see the end title waveform coming through, and you're like, oh shit, the respiratory rate's like 28 because yeah. it's quiet and you really don't notice it. So yeah, because yeah, it's uh, so that's what I would say when uh, end title CO2 for this patient would have been awesome. Anything else? Yeah. 
I, clinically, no, I don't think so. I think that's sort of all the more. I mean, you know, like it was a short transport. So, uh, you know, a, yeah. another set of vitals, some IV fluid, I think was, was a good call, um, depending on how much they got and you know whatnot. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't think there would have been much else to do for this patient. Um, yeah. So well, take us out, man. Yeah. So I'm just. I know this is a rant heavy episode. Uh, I'm just going to go on one more rant. Like this is (laughs) the thing there is no job like EMS. Like we in this career, you have a passport to go into everyone's life. You have, you get to go into the, like I get to go into the house that people go like that house should be fucking burned down. It's filled with spiders. Like we get to go into those kind of places or you get to go into like the high rise building. You get to go and in, and you get to go into other people's lives in their homes, into their workplaces, into fucking wherever they are. And like, then you get to interact with them and you get to learn about like their their life, their problems, that like all sorts of weird shit that nobody else gets to do. And all it requires is that you have a modicum of fucking compassion and, you know, uh, and an ability to work under pressure. And like, we have a lot, we have so much. Yeah. Like we have so much independence and like responsibility that is, that's granted to us. Um, it really like it there really is nothing like it you know like you can work in a hospital but the patients come to you you're missing that environment and the, like the environment and like those pieces are 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 key to this job and and so it just it fucking makes me mad when there are people out here who abuse that um you know like who who have just lost that compassion who don't care and who don't really seem to respect the just like the the awesomeness of our job like every day is different like no call is exactly the same as it was before you know what i mean like every yeah. every you have unique challenges you you know like it it just man it it is there is no other job like it right and to that point I don't know where, like, I don't know if, you know, like maybe Malefic started out with good intent and, you know, just sort of like lost their way. But like, if you, if you find yourself in a position where you don't have, you don't have the compassion, you don't have the, like the drive to do this, where this job is taking more from you than like you're able to give it, then like, that's the time to like, maybe consider leaving. And And there's actually no shame in that. No, you absolutely not, should. And I've known actually some great people who are good paramedics. They're like, hey, you know what? Like, I don't like this anymore. I'm not seeing the good in people. And it's much better than the alternative where you have people who hang on to the job and they just get convinced that every single patient is full of shit or a system abuser. And yeah. all it really happens is they just become the paramedics we talk about where they just end up taking a bunch of really sick pe- patients to the hospital. They never get follow up because they don't chase it down and the hospitals don't do it automatically. Uh, and so they just they just confirm inside their heads that everyone's full of shit and no one's ever actually sick. And they just end up missing a ton of stuff or not giving pain meds to people who are in severe fucking pain, you know, like, yeah. So no, like, or treating, you know, people who, you know, society has thrown away, like, uh, you know, people who use drugs as fucking like, well, this is their own fault. 
You know, exactly. Like this is Which, th- by the way, if you're going to draw that and, I, and, and I'm going to address that, I see that a lot, especially when it comes to things like like uh, overdose uh, and that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, well, you did this to yourself. Uh, it's like, dude, like, where are you drawing that line? Because quite frankly, like almost all of our calls, like whether it's a, especially like heart attacks, breathing problems, like you could point to, to decisions people made in their past that led them to this. Like, where do you stop? Yeah, like you're just like yeah, uh, yeah. Like your parents, you, you ate. Your, your parents <laughs> mated, and you have some, gen- yeah, like you have a higher genetic disorder. It's your parents' fault, but uh, well, but but yeah. even but even that, like, well, like that that's a stretch. But I mean, like in terms of like like yeah, like you could point to people's diets and be like, yeah, you eat high in cholesterol. Uh, like, are you are you gonna not treat their mi? So I, I hate that whole it's their own fault attitude. Like drop that shit. It's just all it is 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 they made a decision that you wouldn't have made yeah. instead of the decisions that you do make all the time. Because yeah. I'm telling you this, I know a fuck ton of paramedics who eat like shit and are someday going to have an MI. So Quit calling me out, Chris. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> well, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But you know, like it's one of those things yeah. where it's like, yeah. So you better drop the whole uh, you did it to yourself attitude because uh, just because that's one decision that you didn't make but you make other terrible decisions like you don't get yeah. to so anyway my rant no but that but that's the piece is like you don't get to choose the patients you yeah. don't get to fucking choose who you take care of you take yep. you you are doing this job you take care of everybody and you show everybody the basic fucking amount of compassion that people are due like yeah. people deserve people who are going to show up further medical emergencies, regardless of what you think emergency is and care. And that's it. Yeah. That's the job. And if you can't right. do that, if you can't, if you're not in a spot where you can do that anymore, then leave, leave. Absolutely. And it's fine. It's fine to leave, leave for your own mental health. It's totally fine to leave. All right. With that, everybody, thanks again for listening to another episode of EMS 2020. Uh, we love doing the calls, so keep sending them to us. Uh, as always, every single episode will get its own post on social media. We are on Facebook at EMS 20 slash 20 Instagram at EMS 2020 show. If you want to support the show, please support the show by going to our T public page. We have uh, links on our social media and buy some merch. Uh, that's the best way to support the show directly. You also support the show by going to guardiancme.com and getting Freak team education just for listening to EMS 2020. Uh, yeah, so head on over to guardiancme.com, get signed up, and you can get up to, I believe, 35 hours required for your national paramedic research uh, knocked out just by uh, just by hanging out on that site and getting free continuing education. And it's good continuing education, stuff you'd like. Uh, so with that, everybody, have uh, an amazing rest of your day, and we'll see you again next week. Bye.